The last time we saw this guy, he was running for governor. But he's got a different hat this morning and a great tie, I might add, too. Oz Griebel is here today. Oz, good morning. What's, good morning. What's the hat you're wearing this morning? Uh, the hat this morning is sort of building off of the campaign from 18. Um, we had been working with a group in New York called SAM, called the Serve America Movement. Uh, they had supported us, endorsed us in 18, Monty Frank and me. And uh, during the course of 19, we talked about what can we do to build off of the the not the success, obviously we didn't win, but build off the foundation that we had. And so we've been working with them and a, and a group here in Connecticut for what we're calling unrigging the election system, uh, focusing on election reform to give voters what we're, our mantra is, giving voters more choice, more voice, and more action on issues that matter to them, and more hope for the future. And, our, and the three-pronged, uh, the three-legged stool that we're focused on, Wayne, is uh, opening up, urging uh, both parties to open up their pre- their primaries, particularly their presidential primaries on April 28th, to all unaffiliated voters. Uh, then we'll be urging them uh, to. Uh, adopt something called ranked choice voting, which I'm happy to talk about, and also uh, to move to term limits uh, here in the in the state. So those are the three things we're working on, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you this morning. And we're going to get deep in all of those things this morning. Now, you talked about the presidential primaries on April 28th. To put right. this in perspective, how many registered voters are there in the state who will not be able to vote in those presidential primaries in April? It's a great question, uh, Wayne, and so I'm going to give you a little bit of an inside baseball perspective on this. Uh, the, in registered voters, roughly 21 or 22 percent in the state are registered as Republicans, roughly 31, 32 percent are registered as D's, and then uh, over 41 percent are registered as un- what we call unaffiliated voters. Um, and most unaffiliated voters do not appreciate the fact that they could vote in the presidential primary if they followed certain rules. And basically the rule is if you're unaffiliated on, as of January 28th, you can pick a vote, pick one of the primaries on April 27th and vote in the Republican or Democratic primary the next day and then re-register as an unaffiliated voter on the 29th. But most, most people won't do that. Most people don't know that. They don't understand it. And so our urge that we send an email into uh, Nancy Wyman, who's the uh, chair of the uh, state Democratic Party, and to J.R. Romano, who's the chair of the uh, state Republican Party, urging them to open the, the primaries on April 28th so that any unaffiliated voter can come in and vote. And that the essence of this is that um, the primaries are paid for by taxpayers, by all of us. They're not paid for by the parties. So uh, one of the arguments is if we're all paying for the primaries, for the for the uh, system that needs to be supported by the Secretary of State's office, everyone should have an opportunity to vote. Now, I know people who feel independent, but they register with a party, right. even though they don't necessarily align with that party, for the sole reason of being able to Correct. vote in a primary. Correct. So these people would be the ones affected by this. Now, when if your plan comes yep. through... Yep. Would they have to pick one primary? You can't have them vote Correct. both. Oh no, that's right. You would go in. You would go into the uh, the concept would be as an unaffiliated voter. Uh, and let I me mean, go back to something you said a second ago, Wayne. Um, people who are registered as unaffiliated assume that they can't vote in a Republican or Democratic party because they are not registered as a Democrat or Republican. Notwithstanding what I said a few minutes ago. So the concept here is that um, that. 
you you would go in on on uh, on the day of the, on April twenty eighth in the in the presidential primary and pick a party. You would just walk in. You're a registered voter. You're you're registered as unaffiliated. But you would then have the right that day to pick. I'm going to vote in one of the two primaries. You can't vote in both, uh, but you'd have the opportunity to do that. And then just to p- play this all the way out beyond April twenty eighth, our goal is to open all primaries along those lines. Whether it's for the governor's uh, a, a, a gubernatorial race, a state senate race, that's that's the goal. All right, so you walk into the polling place right. on, in this case, April 28th, the presidential primary day. Your name is on a voting list, and you got to show Correct. the ID, right. and they cross it off right. and give you the ballot and so forth. How does that work if you're unaffiliated? Are you still on that list? Is, are they oh, yeah, be- you're still a registered voter. Right, but are you going to be on that list that day? Oh, sure. It's, it's, yes. not, it's not on it now. Correct. It's not, well, it, it, it's not. In other words, you're still a registered voter. You still have to go in and do what you just said a second ago wow. mechanically. But the opportunity to pick, because if you if you're registered as a as a uh, unaffiliated voter, um, you don't think you're going to walk in and be able to vote. But you can if you're unaffiliated as of going back to January. The, the, I think one of the questions that is, and I know one of the questions that's come up with us, well, doesn't that allow? What about a Democrat who wants to vote in the Republican primary or, or vice versa? At, on January 28th, if, you re, if you're a Democrat today and you want to vote in the Republican primary on April 28th, or vice versa, you're an R and want to vote today, you can change your party on January 28th and vote in the new party. You can't do it if, you've, if you're still registered in that party on February 1st. It's, it's, it's really the kind of what I'll call the inside baseball rules that, that party aficionados know, but most voters don't know, and that's what we're trying to push back on. Oh, do they steal signs, though? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> if you're standing on second base, they've been doing it since John McGraw, Wayne, as you know. I got a feeling that the major political parties, the D and the R, they don't like your idea. What's their position on it? Well, they're, they're, uh, the, the pushback you get in, in both, um, I, I know that I've seen statements attributed to both parties uh, since we sent the email in last week that they don't believe this is the right way to go. You know, to no great surprise. What do they recommend? Um, leave it as it is. Okay. Um, and uh, let, uh, the, you know, one of the arguments you get back is that... Pu- Keep is this- a million voters disenfranchised. Correct. That's basically what we're talking about, and that's what we're trying to push back against. You know, trying to re- reinvigorate the phrase "we the people." Um, that uh, and you know, one of the things that these ideas that we're talking about, ranked choice voting and term limits, and, and the uh, opening the public primaries, this isn't unique to Connecticut. There, there are efforts going around the country to really open up the voting uh, process so that we move away from this very divisive. Uh, set of approaches to polit- political issues, what I'll call the theological approach. If you're if you're a Republican and you're wearing a red shirt, you have to be right in line vertically. If you're a Democrat and wearing a blue shirt, you have to be in line vertically. And a lot of the issues that most of us care about, you've got to come together to solve them, as opposed to sort of saying ple- pledging allegiance to one approach. And that's we believe the structural changes are critical to to that effort. All right. So how is that change? enforced what has to happen for your plan to take place well on the on the presidential primaries the parties can do it themselves they don't need any authority they they have the ability to allow unaffiliated voters to come in on the presidential primary but you just said they won't do it 
Well, they won't do it, right? Uh, yeah. So how do we get this moving? Well, what, so great question. So one of the things that uh, we're doing, I would urge your listeners to go on to our, our website, joinsamct.org. Uh, you'll get the updates. We're urging people uh, on our uh, on that list to send their, their their endorsement of my email of the tenth into into Nancy into Jr. and say we want this. This is going to have to be this is going to be grassroots uh, up from the bottom kind of support, and that's what we're trying to generate. Having opportunities like this to talk with you and talk to your listeners is critical to letting people know about it and trying to get people excited. It's it's not going to happen from the top down. It's going to happen because voters want this and are willing to to, uh, to uh, demand it. And what do you hear from unaffiliated voters about this proposal? Well, when I'm talking with groups of people, and I've been uh, really since Labor Day, uh, I, my, my little uh, spiel is I'll go anywhere, anytime to talk to two people, 20 people, or 200 people. And when you're in a, 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 a room, particularly even with voters who are registered as RDs, there is, there is a, it, this idea, it resonates with people about wanting to, to change the structural system, starting with opening the primaries uh, to, to, uh, to, all, to unaffiliated voters. And unaffiliated voters are saying, wow, I didn't even know what we talked about a few minutes ago. And so it does open people's eyes, and we've gotten some very positive uh, feedback on it. Whether we can get people energized enough to send the emails in and, and urge the parties to do it, that's that's what we're hoping will happen. We're joined by a former gubernatorial candidate, Oz Griebel, chair of the SAM CT Task Force, who has called on Democratic State Party Chair Nancy Wyman and Republican State Party Chair J.R. Romano to open their respective parties' presidential primaries to the nearly one million Connecticut voters registered as unaffiliated. Aj, you sent an email on January 10th to the state party chairs. What's been the reaction to that from the state party chairs? Uh, I, I didn't necessarily expect to hear from either one of them formally. Their pub, the statements that have been issued by both parties is that they don't believe this needs. I think Nancy's comment or what statement attributed to her was they need to study this, um, which you know is, is, is the uh, is the reaction. As you and I talked earlier, uh, the one thing we know that the two parties can definitely agree on is they want to make sure that they control. The system and the ability to get to for so-called minor parties or other candidates to participate is not anything that they're eager to eager to support. And your comment about the unaffiliated voters, our focus, our ask, as you said, was really to make sure that all of the roughly one almost one million uh, voters in the state who are registered as unaffiliated that they know they can go in and vote on that presidential primary on April 28th. And then our longer term goal is to make sure that all primaries for state offices, uh, constitutional offices, and legislative offices are all those primaries are also open to all unaffiliated voters let's say in a perfect world this plan came to fruition right could it actually be in force by the presidential primaries in april uh, it could the parties have control over their, their their systems and i think it's a world of difference between the control over the systems and who pays for them and as we said earlier in, the, in this conversation that all of us as taxpayers pay for the primaries they're not paid for by the uh, by the party so the idea that something that's paid for by all taxpayers should be open to all voters and and the parties can do that. Do I think that'll occur along the lines that we talked about earlier? 
Probably not, at least not here. But our goal, um, as I mentioned earlier, is to get is to make sure and opportunities like this are so invaluable to us, to make sure that voters know um, that there is an effort being led by us and, and others, not just us here in, in Connecticut, about really opening up our system uh, so that it voters have real choices, they have more choices, they have more voices in what's going to what's important to them long term, as opposed to leaving everything locked in uh, to the two so-called major parties. What are unaffiliated voters saying about your plan? Well, the responses we've had uh, to date, both from, you know, electronically via email, the various meetings I've had, as I said to you earlier, I, my, my mantra is I'll go anywhere, anytime, any place to talk to 220 or 200 people about this. And when I've been at Rotary Clubs, churches, businesses, homes, we get a very positive response. The key to, the key to this, like so many things um, in public policy areas, you really have to generate uh, a grassroots, bottoms-up set of enthusiasm, and that's what I'm spending time on. And as I said a second ago, the opportunities to talk to you and talk to your uh, talk, talk to you and talk to your is earlier that I'm assuming I'm not the answer. Is what's that? Ranked choice voting comes up when you have more than two candidates running for uh, for an office. And uh, the best best example, uh, best way to illustrate this is just talk about our, what happened in Maine in 2018. In uh, they it took them about three or four years, uh, but in uh, January of 2018, uh, they put in what's called ranked choice voting for the November congressional elections, November of 2018. And in that um, race, there were four candidates: Republican incumbent, Democratic challenger, and two individuals uh, running as uh, on on so-called independent parties uh, on uh, under ranked choice voting the the goal is to make sure that a majority of voters not a plurality elect the candidate so um, on the, the when the polls closed at eight o'clock on November 18th the Republican incumbent won 40 had 48 percent of the votes cast the Democratic challenger had 47 percent so since neither one of them got 50% plus one, you then went down to the uh, to the fourth vote. And what, when a, what, what in ranked choice voting, Wayne, what happens, you just don't vote for one candidate. You rank all the candidates on the ballot in order of your preference. So those who voted for... Uh, the Republican incumbent would then have said, okay, maybe the, the, uh, the minor party candidate's my number two, et cetera. Because nobody got the, the 50% plus one, you take the candidate with the least number of votes and see who, who did those voters choose number two. And as a result of that ranked choice voting, the Democrat won the, uh, won the uh, election with 50% plus, I forget, but I think he won almost with 51% of the vote. And the idea here uh, is that it, one of the things that Monty Frank and I faced in 2018, certainly not unique, people would say to us, you're the best candidates, you've got the best uh, ideas, but if I vote for you, uh, I throw Bob my Steph, vote away. I throw my white vote away. You're a spoiler. You, you're, it's a mm -hmm. wasted vote. And the concept of ranked choice voting is to say, no, you, your vote does matter, and vote for the person you think is best, and then vote for the number two after that, because the 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 the, the, the what we believe will happen, what's been demonstrated in other states that have ranked choice voting, it forces the candidates instead of running to their bases, if you will, uh, which is which tends to happen. You really have to think about, okay, if I, I'm trying to appeal to you as the as as a as it, I want to get your vote, I've got to think a little bit about 
make sure I how you think of me compared to the other candidates because it's not just going to be voting for me or the or or one of the opponents. You're going to the voters going to rank these, and I think that forces the candidates to talk more about what I'll refer to as in the middle, what people want to hear about, as opposed to saying you know we're going to eliminate the personal income tax or we're only going to toll trucks. You 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 become to you drive a lot more of a realistic conversation is our is our view. You mentioned those phrases, majority and plurality. Right. I think for the average guy driving on the street who took that, you know, took sure. that in high school a long time ago, they say, well, what's, the, what's the difference in those two things? That's a great question. And and so, you, as as, uh, as you probably know, uh, just to use Connecticut as an example, Ned Lamont won the uh, gubernatorial election with 48% of the vote. Namely, he won with a plurality. What we want is to make sure that whoever wins, wins with a majority, 50% or more of the votes. So the same thing happened in the presidential election in 16 uh, in terms of, well, in, in, in that case, Hillary Clinton actually won more of the, of the, uh, of the votes, uh, Trump winning on the Electoral College system. But the idea being that when you have uh, uh, more than two candidates, we want to. We, our argument under ranked choice voting is that we want to make sure that 50%, more than 50% of the voters voted for that candidate, not simply 45% or 30%. Well, I think most people you talk to would say that if candidate A gets 48%, candidate B gets 45 well, candidate A got a majority of the vote. No, they got a that's, plurality. That's not, that's not majority. Huh? That's not a majority. Majority means 50% plus one of the people who voted is a majority, and that's what, we're, that's what ranked choice voting drives you to. Oz Grable with us. Oz, what is your personal interest in attacking this unrig the election system, as you call it? Are you trying to set it up for yourself to run as an independent, to have an advantage, or just because you've seen the way the system works, because you have run as an independent and realized how many disadvantages non-major party candidates have? Well, I th- I'll tell you, I'll go, I'll go even, to me, the most important thing um, uh Wayne, is that I've been in the state almost 30 years, and particularly over the last 20, uh, because of this very divisive, uh, rigid approach to politics at the national and state level, we have not addressed serious issues. This is all about changing a system so that when people are elected to the state house, to constitutional offices, to the Congress, they're focused on what the voters want and not having to appeal about what's being reelected. In the last 20 plus years in the state, we've not addressed the unfunded pension liability for state employees and, and the health care system. We've not invested in our transportation and other infrastructure. We've not addressed the uh, the funding issues for, uh, for municipalities. There are serious issues that, in, in our opinion, have not been addressed because the two parties stay in their silos. They stay on their teams. And their most important goal is not solving the issues that the voters want solved. It's making sure that they get reelected. Ergo, why we want to talk about term limits, something I wouldn't have talked about seriously five years ago. I think these are all things that we need to look hard at. How are we going to address issues that are important to the voters? And most importantly, Wayne, this isn't about people my age. It's about people in their 30s and 40s because you want to open up the system and you want to solve problems that they're going to pay for down the road more than somebody uh, uh, north of 70 is going to pay for them. We'll talk about the term limits issue a little later on this morning, but I'm curious about, you indicated that this idea about unrigging the system would go through the, well, at this point, the existing major parties. But with something like this, a change like this, why wouldn't it wind up being a ballot issue, letting the entire state decide and not just the exactly. party systems? That's the goal. And that's the the idea. Our view is, and having done this twice, as you mentioned before, you you begin to understand um, that the, the system, the way it's structured today, 
is not taking care of the issues that matter to voters. And so the idea of opening this up, where candidates who run have, don't just run to the right or left, they've really got to think about the vast majority of voters. That 41%, for example, who are registered as unaffiliated. Uh, if we change the structure of the system, we've got a better chance of electing candidates, giving voters a chance at the ballot, as you point out, to elect candidates who are going to focus on the issues and not be so solely focused, as I said a minute ago, on re-election. So if there are people who you've inspired this morning who want to move this forward, right. what do they do? Well, the, what we're asking people to do is to go on to our, our website, to the link to our website, which is joinsamct.org, www.joinsamct.org, and put your email address in. Uh, you'll get our updates, and as I said a second ago, one, uh, in, the, in the near term, what we're hoping people will do is take the email that we that I sent into Nancy Wyman and J.R. Romano and send that same email into them saying, I support this. You know, getting that groundswell of people to say, well, this idea is something we champion. Going ahead, well, the next thing we'll be doing this year, Wayne, is is building a scorecard uh, that we want to make available to voters, so that when the when they're uh, uh, asking or thinking about who they're going to vote for for the state senate and state house seat, that they will ask those candidates, where do you stand on open public primaries? Where do you stand on ranked choice voting? And where do you stand on term limits? Because my vote is going to be determined if you're if you're supportive of that. Our goal then would be to go up to the Capitol in January of next year, and urge as the new session starts, urge that the legislation we need for ranked choice voting and term limits, that process gets underway. Oz, who did run as an independent for governor back in 2018, and now he's on the unrig the election system train, looking for open public primaries, ranked choice voting, and term limits. We've gone pretty deep into the first two of those bullet points, but what are your thoughts on term limits? When you talk about term limits, Oz, are you talking one term, two terms, five terms? Some people are in there forever. Right, and I, it's a, it's, it, is, it is the key question. And the first thing I want to say, is we, Wayne, is we need to do a lot more work uh, over the next couple of months about exactly what we want for term limits. We've got a group of people working on this, and we're talking back and forth. But the simplest, uh, to start with the constitutional offices, governor, lieutenant governor, et al., I think we would be supportive of two-term limits. It's much like the we in the the, uh, the after uh, FDR, uh, we in the country put the 23rd or 4th Amendment in to limit the president to uh, two terms. Uh, and I, we think that's the, an appropriate thing for those two four-year terms here in Connecticut for constitutional offices. Uh, and I, I will also admit, Wayne, that uh, up until about five years ago, I was not a term limit person. I was a, saying, hey, look, we as voters, we ought, to, we ought to be responsible for who goes back into office and what have you. When you keep peeling the onion back and understand what doesn't happen, the, the percentage of people who don't vote, you know, many, in many cases uh, in elections you've got 60, 70 percent of the people not voting in an election. It really isn't the voters determining um, necessarily on, on, on the, uh, how, many, how many terms somebody serves. In Connecticut, I also think we've set up a situation where people run for office in some cases for the wrong reasons because if you serve in the state senate or, or in this legislature for 10 years and you're able to get uh you know the pension and and the uh and that lifetime health care benefits 
I don't think that's the right way to structure things. If you go back to that old that old image of George Washington and Cincinnati and the idea that we're all supposed to serve for a period of time but then go back to the farm, go back to business, uh, that's a concept that we think is important. We also think it's important that you want you want you want to make sure that people who want to run uh, have the opportunity to do so. The old adage that your second toughest race is your first race for re-election. After that, you're kind of locked in because the power of incumbency is so is so important. So the, in the on the legislative side, this is where we need to do a lot of work. Um, you know, we, as you know, uh, you run for state senate every two years. You run for the state house every two years. One of the pushbacks we get on term limits is to say, well, you would lose historical knowledge. Well, one of the ways you rebut that is you you first of all you might take the senate seat the senate terms and go to four years and then you would stagger the re-election problem much like you have in the u.s senate where not every the entire senate is not up for re-election every cycle so i think we we need to do some work on this but the whole concept of making sure that the the reason to serve is to serve not to have a long-term uh sinecure if you will in the situation all right so you propose term limits right how would that be facilitated would the people who don't want to lose their terms be the ones voting for it you're never going to get that oh through. yeah well i think this goes <laughs> this goes back see all the ideas of the fox in the hen house right um i the, the the only way these kinds of changes occur wayne is is if you if if people want them and so a i mentioned a groundswell of support a groundswell of support and one of the things I, uh, that we want to do in the upcoming november elections for the state senate and state house is to have a scorecard so that voters can ask the candidates for those offices. Where do you stand on open public primaries? Where do you stand on ranked choice voting? And where do you stand on term limits? Because I want to be up, our plan is to be up at the Capitol, for example, next January of 2021, urging these that the legislature take those those uh, those steps. Is that Do I have any illusions that this is something that's going to happen just because we want it? No, it's, it's, it's this whole notion of why, as I said to you earlier, the opportunity to come and talk on this show and talk to your, to your listeners, the opportunity to go out into businesses and civic groups, rotary clubs, chambers of commerce, and talk about this. That's the way we're going to build the groundswell. Now, what you've also done, though, is on occasion you have a really good legislator, someone who has done a lot for your district or for the state. And they're not all that way, but there are some that are cut above the rest. So now you're forcing them out the door. Well, you know, without making the the analogy too strong – George Washington stepped down after two terms voluntarily. And people will say that if you didn't have a Washington as our first president, life would have been very different for this country coming out of this, out of the situation. And uh, the idea, too, that you have a, a legislator, a mayor, whatever, we're talking about the, states, the state legislature, just because they've done a great job doesn't mean that that job, should, that there isn't other ways for them to contribute to um, to the to the uh, to political process. I mean, there are plenty of ways working um, in uh, advocate in advocacy groups for particular things that they're supportive of. Working hard within their district and supporting the person who succeeds them. This notion that you have to be in 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 uh, office in perpetuity is what we're pushing back against. Now, speaking of term limits, now this is probably related to Congress and not the General Assembly, but uh, I saw this on Facebook about a week ago, and I brought it up today because it seems to apply. <laughs> Term limits would increase the likelihood that people who come to Congress would anticipate returning to careers in the private sector and therefore would, as they legislate, think about what it's like to live under the laws they make. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's a great way of, of, of encapsulating the uh, 
the sentiment that we're that we're we're expressing the idea that you're not always focused on staying that your ability to be uh, to be reelected goes on in perpetuity and, and you don't have to deal with some of the implications of whether they be fiscal issues whether they be uh, pu- public policy issues I think it's a great way it's a it's a wonderful statement that captures a sentiment of what we think term why we think term limits are important and why I think that thing is important among other things is health care because the people Correct. in Congress get a phenomenal health care package right. and if they had to live under what they've given us uh, they might make some different rules I think I do think this notion of going back in a the, the, the that, that Cincinnatus, George Washington idea that you go in and you serve for a fixed period of time, that that's kind of your, our responsibility, and then you go back to what you were doing before. I, I think it's a great way of, of, of thinking about this issue of term limits. So the term limits thing from, from your, your organization, SAMCT, is more just to get people thinking about it, to get the discussion out there, and not right. just except the status quo. Correct. And we will we will over the next couple of months come back out with a specific recommendation on uh, term limits. I mean I, I may I may have mentioned this earlier maybe it was off off offline when you and I were talking. But the idea of looking hard uh, also because we've had a number of people say to this, well if you're going to look at term limits, why not look at the entire structure of the general assembly in terms of the length of 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 terms that are that are there. You know, does everybody do you go from a two-year term to a four-year term for example for state senate or six-year term. Um, I think there, there's some things that we will, we're going to look at before we come back in the context of looking at term limits, looking at the whole structure. Just because you've had a structure in place for 100 years or 200 years doesn't mean it's the right structure for the future. And that's, what, that's really what we're uh, generating a discussion on. Would your vision of term limits <clears throat> restrict someone from going from being a state rep to a state senator? No, it would be probably a combination. We've seen this in other states where you might have an aggregate term limit of 12 or 14 years, uh, cons- and they might you might put the consecutive concept in. Now, your comment a minute ago, Wayne, about asking about the individual who's viewed very positively by his by his or her uh, uh, constituents, the idea you might have a break. You might say oh, no one can run, you, no one can serve for more than say, I'll pick a number out of the air, 12 consecutive years. So you have to take a two- or a four-year break, and you could run again. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in this. I'm the first to admit it. But the idea that you would have that consecutive um, uh, concept in place, it also wouldn't preclude someone from serving the state Senate for a fixed period of time, 12 years, and then running for one of the constitutional offices. So, I mean, the, the, I think sometimes people, the rigid response is, well, this is not a bad, a good idea because of, uh, you're going to, to your, your comment earlier, not have a, a good legislator stay in place. There are other ways to serve, and I think it's an important, uh, important element in the, in the discussion. Earlier in the program, we talked about one of the elements that Oz is campaigning, not campaigning, but at least a drum and beating the drum for here, is the idea to open the respective parties' presidential primaries, including the one we have in April, to the nearly one million Connecticut voters registered as unaffiliated. Which got me thinking, do other states, have other states done this? Or is Connecticut like the other 49 states that you really can't vote in a primary, if you're unaffiliated, it's it's an uh, it, every state's different. So you, you're going to have certain certain states do allow for uh, wide open primaries. Of course, some states have caucuses too. Some states have caucuses. You know, what, and one of the things, just as an example of, of what other states are thinking about how this this whole this whole concept of unrigging the election system is. Right. California went to a single primary. Uh, anybody can run in the primary, and their current system is the top two vote-getters in the primary, they could be from the same party, 
They're the two that go to the general election in November. That happened in 18. I believe the two candidates for governor were both Democrats. They're now looking at going to a top five primary system um, and c- coupling that with ranked choice voting. And, and so this whole notion of how do we make it easier um, for voters to participate, how do we make sure that the voices of the voters are really being heard? That's what all this structural uh, discussion is, is about, getting back to we the people running the government as opposed to we the two parties dominating the government. I'm still struggling with how it would come about if it were to come about, because obviously the existing party system probably will not allow it. Would a petition work where you get enough people in support of this concept? And by the way, as I said, there's a million unaffiliated voters that are affected by this. They're not able to vote in the primaries, and you're trying to let it, make it so they can vote in the right. primaries. But could you have some sort of a statewide petition where... I don't know, 500,000 people sent a petition to get people's attention to say, we need this now. Well, I'm hopeful that that 500,000 will happen between now and January 28th through emails going into Nancy and JR saying, we want this. Because that, that that's, is that's that's 12 days. That's a, that's a fast <laughs> turnaround, buddy. Well, it's, it's a, uh, uh, the shot clock's going to force us to get this done, Wayne. But the, well, but a little the, sports terminology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the idea that you would build off of that into the next election cycle in November, that is what we're talking about, Wayne. You're absolutely right. This isn't going to happen because uh, the powers that be want it to happen. It's going to happen because we, the people, want it to happen. Tell me about the recent legislation supported by Governor Cuomo in New York, which would have the practical effect of eliminating new and so-called minor political parties. So Sam um, uh, ran, uh, they're a New York-based organization. One of the things they did in 2018 is they ran a gubernatorial ticket in New York. A woman by the name Stephanie Miner, who had been the mayor of Syracuse, former Democrat, was the gubernatorial candidate. And her running mate, a gentleman by the name of Mike Volpe, a former Republican who was the chief elected official of a Westchester County town, ran. They earned 55,000 votes in November of 18, and under New York law, that made Sam, New York, a party. Under, under New York law. Uh, Governor Cuomo um, in uh, the summer of 19, last year, uh, I think in part because in New York the Green Party and the uh, Working Families Party endorsed his opponent in the 2018 gubernatorial campaign. He formed a commission in 2019, five Democrats, four Republicans, and they came out and said, in the future, in order for somebody to re- a party to retain their status, they have to get, I think it's 125,000 votes in the gubernator- next gubernatorial race, and you must run a candidate in the presidential election and secure, I think it's 100,000 votes. De facto, what, or what, to your point, what that really means is the minor parties will be, most of them will not have any opportunity to stay in place. Sam has filed a lawsuit on Wednesday in federal court challenging that, um, and we'll see where that plays out. But the, uh, I think it just demonstrates um, the power of the parties not wanting competition. You know, we always say that competition is good for the society, good for economy, good for the soul. The one place that I think people don't want to see competition is if you're in one of the two parties. Do you have any kind of polling or information about this nearly a million unaffiliated voters in Connecticut of our, as far as their political leaning. Does that group tend to lean right. red or blue? Because I would think that if, if that group tended to lean one way or the other, 
the other side would fight this harder. Well, I think, and I don't have data to, to answer your question literally, but one of the things that, from an anecdotal standpoint, the 41% who are registered, 42% registered today as unaffiliated voters is up, as I understand it, from about 30% in twenty in 2000. So this is that's a, a huge jump. That's a steady increase yeah. in the in the number of people who are saying the two neither party speaks for me, and I don't want to be associated with either party formally. And I now don't that, want their spam robocalls either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and now that doesn't mean I know people that do that oh, do not register for that very reason. Oh, I, I don't doubt that for a second, uh, Wayne. And 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 to, so that in part is an answer to your question. Just because you're registered as unaffiliated doesn't mean you don't lean. Uh, Democrat, you don't lean Republican. I, I fully understand that. But the fact is, you can't vote. And you know, we think about this this primary in, in April. Granted, there are you know fifty of them around the around the country. The the this the, how contentious the the current the 2016 election w- it was. How contentious um, this 2020 election is. Not to have a say in who the two major party candidates are is undermining, we believe, the whole demo- the democratic process. So when people go to your website, right. and I'll read it slowly here, it's all one long word, joinsamct.org. Again, it's all one word, joinsamct.org. What do you want them to do at that website? Put in their email address. Just, that's all we're asking is put the email you put your email address in so we can communicate with you update you on what we're doing we're not we're not asking you to put the email address in and say we agree hundred percent with your three uh, with your three ideas we simply want you to stay informed if you believe that change is necessary our uh, our offer is we, we are the vehicle of change stay updated on what we're doing give us your ideas but principally what we're looking for is get your email address in so we can build that build that base and as i mentioned earlier we're going to be putting a scorecard together for the november elections for the state senate and the state house seats we want you the voter to get that information and the best way for to do it is to put your email address in Oz Griebel, chair of the sam connecticut task force talking about open public primaries ranked choice voting and term limits this morning Oz, always good to see you it's always great to see you let me say that you had said this to before we got on the air congratulations on being to, elected to the, the connecticut broadcasters hall of fame and being the sportscaster of the year you're one of the great guys wayne it's a pleasure to be here and thank you for the time wow thanks very much oz griebel on 14 wili and 95.3